Today I welcome Rob Norman, best boy at Inspired School Marketers. In this episode, we talk about school marketing and the importance of awards to celebrate great marketing and communications. And we look into our crystal ball to ask, what does the future of school marketing hold? Well, Rob, I want to talk about your job title of best boy. You're the best boy at Inspired School Marketers. So first off, why did you set up Inspired? And also, how did best boy come about? We were involved with marketing for schools. We had a firm that did branding and all kinds of Marcom only for independent schools. That's all we did. We saw that there was ASAP for admissions professionals and Case NACE for advancement and NBOA for the business office, but there was nowhere where the Marcom professionals at schools could collaborate and share and help each other. And we didn't want to set up a formal organization. We wanted to set up something where we could provide resources to them in a broad strokes, lots of different ways. So Liza, my wife and partner, came up with Inspired, and we decided to launch that. And the best boy, the whole theme of Inspired is the flame and sparks. Best boy is a film industry term for the head of the electrical department. Uh, Liza is the master electrician and I'm the best boy. So it kind of fit with my theater interest and uh, and it works for the whole theme of creating sparks in the Marcom industry. Well, it's good that you practice what you preach and obviously coming from a marketing background, being in a space where you are inspiring other school marketers and schools themselves, it makes perfect sense. You have to, I think, be as honest and authentic with that. You talk about making sparks with schools. I mean, what are those sparks? What we really try to help schools do and try to do on our own is bring more respect and influence and resources to the Marcom departments and the professionals running those departments at school. We want leadership to acknowledge the import of Marcom. We want the Marcom professionals to be part of the leadership team. We always espouse having Marcom present at the board meetings at schools so that the board understands how critically important Marcom is. You've got admissions and advancement that are the main money drivers at schools, but those departments are only as good as the Marcom department. And Marcom literally influences everything a school does all the time. So we want to elevate the status of Marcom and Marcom professionals at schools. That's the whole aim of Inspired. It was very much US-centric to start with, and now you reach all corners of the globe. Was that by design or was it just because it happened by natural growth? I think it's a little of both. When we first started, we knew U.S. We had not done work internationally, except for Canada. But we started out, and then when we started getting interest from international schools, we said, why not? We can all learn from each other. We can all support each other. We did know some people at some U.K. schools, and then we started getting to know some people at Australian schools. A lot of it, and I know we'll, we'll talk about this in a minute, the Brilliance Awards has really helped 
us with that international outreach. And I think it's a good thing for all of us in MARCOM to help each other, no matter where we are in the globe. Yeah, I completely agree. And actually having us, you know, organizations like yourself that can share best practice, that people can collaborate, they can learn, they can share, they can try new things. But I also want to kind of talk about not the dangers, but there's always a risk in school marketing that we have to follow the latest gadgets, technology, trends with consumer behavior because of social media. How do we keep up as school marketers? But also, how do we stop ourselves falling into this kind of gap of, we're just trying to keep up with the Joneses. It's not meaningful. It's not making my life better, but we feel like we have to run long. Oh, yeah. It's been growing over time. There is a real danger of the next shiny thing. Our advice to schools is pick only the number of channels that you can actively support, regularly support regularly focus on. You should try to understand the channels that your community is most aligned with, the one they use the most, and focus on them. Because if you spread yourself out, if you continue to take on every new channel, if you've got Facebook and Twitter, and now you got Instagram and TikTok, and most schools have a relatively limited resource in their Marcom departments. The real danger is getting spread too thin and doing nothing well. Do what you do, do it well, focus on only the number of things that you can do well. Marcom departments are are pressed into service in lots of areas. Social media can be more of a distraction than a help if you're not careful. Yeah, it is very difficult. We have to be at the forefront of all these changes because they are our consumers. They drive everything and they could be the next parents that we're going to bring into our schools. But at the same time, your point about being stretched is, is enormously real for so many people and so many schools is that they feel they do not have enough time and they're busy fools, you know, and they're pumping out noise and, you know, and content just because they have to, but without really thinking about the why, the purpose, because they just don't find the time. So whatever we can be doing to help schools talk with more purpose. You talk about being meaningful and intentional. I think it's absolutely key for this. Otherwise, it just does become a distraction and a so what. And ultimately, somebody's going to judge you and start to want measurement. I mean, if you go to a a school's Twitter feed and realize that their last post was a month and a half ago, that's just a bad reflection on the school. That's why I say, pick the channels that your community finds most important, that they relate to the most, and focus on them. You don't have to be in every channel. You don't. You need a strategy for sure. You should be in all channels, but only if the resources and time and the strategies in place allows you to do a good job. And it's not about volume. It's about quality to reach those audiences. You mentioned the Brilliance Awards earlier. This is something that you guys set up. I don't know how many years ago, but I know that we've been participating for probably the last four or five. How long has it been going and why did you start it? I'm trying to remember how long, I think it's seven years we've done it. I'm not 100% sure. The reason we did it it really goes back to the question that you asked about the Sparks. We wanted to celebrate the work being done at and for our schools. We wanted to put a spotlight on the incredible work being done. So we started out, and again, when we originally started the Brilliance Awards, it was U.S. only. We got a couple of years under our belt, 
and now it's international. The international entries are growing dramatically. To us, it's an opportunity for everyone, whether you win an award or not, to be proud of the work you're doing, to show off the work you're doing, and to have an opportunity to see work that the judges and Liza and I are not judges. We don't judge anything. We have a panel this year. There were 71 judges. We have a panel of incredible people who volunteer their time. And it's an opportunity for everybody to see kind of the best and brightest work being done and to use that as an aspirational goal to see that kind of work. I'm inspired when I look at the work being done. We want to celebrate the work being done by and for schools. I think people sit in two categories with awards. It's kind of like, one is people like chasing the vanity, a bit like any other social metric, because they like the accolade and it gives them almost recognition for something and it helps shore up their work. And then the other side of it is, I don't need to enter an award because I'm comfortable in what I do. So what drives you and what makes a successful awards event and why should schools enter? I think there are a lot of reasons to enter beyond vanity. First of all, you should be proud of the work you do. And we have awards won by nursery schools, by K-12 schools. So there's a wide range of schools that win. It allows schools, again, to be proud of the work. If they win an award, there's so much that can happen. It brings notoriety to your Marcom department. It raises the status of your Marcom department in the eyes of your community, your leadership, the exterior, you know, the outside community, it really helps your school understand the work that's been done by your Marcom department and to increase the pride in the school in general. If you win an award or you don't win an award, if you've entered an award, if you think your work is worthy, you should enter that and have the opportunity for the judges to look at your work and to possibly reward it. There are just so many reasons to celebrate. We have schools with very, very small budgets that have won awards. It's not about budget. It's not about money. It's about focus and creativity and brand and supporting your department in real ways. You know, your department, if you've got two or three people and you win an award, there's an opportunity for you to feel really good about the work you've done. So, I think there are just lots of reasons. And, you know, what we tell people is, you know, every once in a while, somebody will reach out and say, we don't have much of a budget. We have this piece that we think is really good. I said, enter it. We've tried to make it very reasonable price-wise so that, you know, it's not onerous to enter a piece. Go ahead and do it and see what happens. I hope you're enjoying the Inspiring Schools podcast. We're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them. If you'd like to be involved or know of someone with great ideas at a school near you, please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch. How do you go about putting together a fair judging criteria for such a diverse and disparate set of judges to ensure that everyone's looking at things in a fair and structured way? Do you set the criteria or do they as a group that are judging certain categories determine that? That's a really good question. We actually set the criteria and we actually review the criteria every year. We review it with two lenses. One, looking at the way the judges have judged using the previous year's criteria. 
we get feedback from the judges every year about questions or comments about the criteria. So we're always kind of moving it around and the different categories have different criteria. So each category is is judged based on the kind of piece that's being judged. So we're really careful and we're always learning. We want it to be fair. We want it to be accurate. You know, a lot of it comes from the feedback we get from judges about the criteria we're using in that particular year. And everyone gets inspired by these, and that's the point, right? There's always ideas. I don't think anyone really comes up with an original idea. They just do a twist on an idea and put it in a different way. There's always so many great ideas and submissions that people do. So it's a really good resource, if nothing else, for people to be able to go and go, look at what they did. I could probably do this as well. So do you measure that level of success in terms of reach and how far does your story and competition go? We do. I mean, we're trying to grow it. We want broader and broader representation. I would also say we review the categories every year to make sure that the categories are reflective of the work being done. And we really hope people will learn from the Brilliance Awards. It is an incredible teaching tool. I encourage and we always have blogs about it after the awards are out, I always encourage people, put aside an hour and go and look at all the winners. There is so much that you can learn by doing that. Every year I have it, I'm still, I haven't gotten to it to finish it this year, but every year I've written a blog about what I learn from the Brilliance Awards. You know, I would tell you that a great example is videos, something near and dear to your heart. We've had videos win that were 58 seconds, and we've had videos win that were 13 minutes. I would always say 13-minute video is way too long. The 13-minute video that won, I watched it and was riveted. And when I ended up realizing it was 13 minutes long, I couldn't believe it because it was so good. And the 58-second video was just an absolute punch in the mouth. It was just really incredible. So there's so much you can learn from the winners and from, you know, we've got these judges who have tremendous experience in this and their comments can teach us a lot about how they view this category. It's a real teaching tool. That's part of why we did it. Yeah. And we think it's a great awards that you do put on because, you know, our purpose, our reason for being is inspiring schools to share their story. So it resonates and sits at the heart of what we do. And we always encourage our schools to enter something because it is good to be recognized for us. But for them, we're very fortunate to have been placed yeah, a number of times and we use it and it's because we are proud of the work and we do believe it stands out. We also learn from everyone else. And that's I do enjoy that piece. It's like, wow. Oh, I like the way they did that. That is, there's always something new because we don't spend enough time or find enough time for our own probably professional development because you can be so caught in your tunnel is you don't kind of sit back and go, what else is out there? I use it as great personal learning and go, oh, is that something then we take on? There's always one or two things. And if I always say, whenever I go anywhere new, if there's just one thing I take away that's different, I'm a winner. I go, I can change something. I'm lucky enough that 
I'm the one person that sees every entry every year. And I find it such an incredible process to see what's being done, to see the elevation of the level of work that's being done. Because again, I've been doing this for 30 years for schools and it's a great process for us. And it's a great process for the community, the inspired community. We just, we just love doing it and we love celebrating everybody who wins. And we love the people who are proud of having won an award. You just mentioned you've been in this game for a number of decades now. Probably the greatest amount of change in any three decades we've probably seen in terms of marketing and communication. What have you seen as being the biggest change? What would you like to go back to that we don't do enough of anymore, that may be a simpler, more romantic side to marketing? Well, that's interesting. But the biggest change I see is the increased expectation and performance of independent school marcom. You know, again, 25 years ago, very often the director of Marcom was really not a director of Marcom. They were the, the magazine publisher or they did newsletters. What we're now seeing over the last five or 10 years is influx of true Marcom professionals into schools. We do a, a Marcom survey every two years. And one of the things we want to find out is where the director of Marcom came from. And what we're seeing is that there is an influx from outside of the academic world. So they're coming from other nonprofits, from for-profit advertising agencies, from all kinds of organizations into independent school Marcom. And obviously, they are bringing with them best practices and knowledge that maybe wasn't in independent school Marcom 15 or 20 years ago, the rising tide lifts all boats. That's what we're seeing in the Marcom, in the uh, Brilliance Awards, that the quality of work is increasing over time. And that's the biggest change we see, that schools are recognizing the import, recognizing the value, and recognizing that you have to have good marketing and communications at your school. If COVID didn't teach you that, shame on you. Because when COVID hit, if you didn't have infrastructure for good, solid communications, you were in real deep trouble because that was when the rubber hit the road right there. What other kind of marketing trends have you seen and can you see in the next few years that are going to affect the independent sector? I think there is a steady progress in websites. The quality of the presentation, the quality of the information, they are far more focused. They understand, schools seem to understand now, there's an internal audience and an external audience, and that they're not the same. They're not looking for the same information. And schools seem to be doing a really good job of communicating with different audiences in ways that connect with those audiences. That's what I see a lot in websites and, and videos, especially, is the effort to connect, the effort to get those communities to understand the ethos of the school community, 
to understand the way that school community operates and to project the quality that the school endeavors to bring to their teaching and their pedagogy. I think all of that is getting better and better and better. We can't have a conversation about things that are happening without talking about personalization, AI, and chat GPT, mid-journey, and all the others that are the flavor of the news at the moment. Obviously, the real embedded nature of how chat GPT has taken off is a put a bit of a cloud over some school marketers because they're worried about their jobs. And at the same time, other people are using it as tools to get better at their jobs. What's your thoughts? They won't replace the school marketer. I don't think that's even a possibility. There's a human element to Marcom, the connection that I was talking about. I'm not sure AI will be able to mimic a human connection. Yeah, they can mimic the language. Person to person can't be replaced. That doesn't mean that chat GPT won't be a tool that schools can use. But as for replacing Marcom, I just don't see it happening. Okay, so I'm going to get you to look into your crystal ball. Let's look to 2050. You would have been in the industry for another couple of decades. What does the future of school marketing look like to you? What do you hope it will be? What do you think it will be? Facebook was introduced in 2006. That's 17 years ago. I think it's hard to look five years down the road, much less 20 years. If you look at the changes that have taken place since Facebook was introduced, if you look at the changes that have taken place, not just in social media, but in websites and how much more sophisticated they are, I don't know how you would possibly look more than a couple of years down the road. But I want you to. I want you to be bold here, Rob. I need you to be bold and go, I mean, look, the reality is, is that, well, we need websites in the future. School websites won't exist because people will surely just be interacting with their environments and the information will be given to them. So, you know, there's a real true reality there. I think augmented reality will absolutely be something that schools will be looking at because you can go and create, if you are on a campus with an interactive augmented reality, you can self-tour and get all the information you need. The school can give a family augmented reality goggles to walk around campus, and they can hear and see and get all the information they need from an augmented reality-driven tour. I mean, that's certainly a possibility. You can connect with me on Twitter, Instagram, and via LinkedIn. Remember, keep inspiring schools. We need more future school thinking now.